You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is On Principle Challenges in Jewish Education. I'm here with Rabbi Jonathan Kroll, principal of Salanter, Akiva, Riverdale, otherwise known as SAR High School. Boy, John, it's been like a long time since uh, we've strolled along together here on this uh, on this primrose path. Um, I think, you know, every, just like COVID was such a dominating story, I think uh, uh, the invasion of the Ukraine is probably going to be dominating the news for a while. Um, of course, it goes without saying that uh, there's still hundreds of thousands, not, not hundreds of thousands, but close to, we're close to 200,000 Jews there. And uh, the Jewish communities were surprisingly robust. Uh, as you know, I just came, I just made my escape from the Deershoe uh, um, uh, Seum Convention in Trenton, New Jersey. And we offered tefillahs for the, uh, especially the Deershoe's, Deershoe Leimdim uh, in the Ukraine. So let me tell you, let me just give you some background. That means there are people there that are taking beginners, that are learning stark. There's, there's, it's not just, you know, five people in, in, in Des Moines, Iowa. This is, it seems like there's quite a bit of Jewish life there. And uh, first of all, have you been uh, emphasizing that there in, at SAR that people should recognize, you know, that at that side of the world that there's so many that there are Jewish people that are clearly under attack and are in danger? Yeah, well, we've been doing it kind of from two different angles. One of them is from an angle in the history classes, making sure that students understand um, sort of like what's happening, what the history is, what the history of the you know, USSR is the history of the Ukraine as far as it's connected to Russia, Ukrainian language versus Russian language. Um, what's Putin, you know, trying to do, looking at this in something of a historical context and also looking at it in a Jewish context. What are the Jewish communities there? What are the needs of the Jewish communities there? We've been trying to raise funds for different um, organizations that are really providing aid. You know, as I mentioned to you earlier, I had a, I had the good fortune, uh, you know, starting off in my early days in Chinuch before I knew that I wanted to go into Chinuch, but what inspired me and uh, sparked the interest of going to Chinuch was an experience I had when I, um, after the fall of the Soviet Union, I spent I spent a lot of time in the Ukraine um, when I was a college student, I was in YU, um, running summer camps, winter camps, things like that. And I spent a lot of time in um, different cities in the Ukraine, and that really got me interested in a way that uh, got me, you know, got me hooked on on Chinuch. Wow! But really, make feel very connected to that to that area that's really under discussion right now. All right. So, so really, let's let's uh, just for people listening who might not understand that once the Soviet Union fell, so there was a great opening for these cities, and there was a a, a uh, it was now clear that we could send shluchim there and people there and because you know chabad was operating sort of in secret and trying to push things now that the uh that it was a separate country so now it was really open despite ukraine's terrible uh you know anti-semitic past but there was really all these opportunities and i I know ncsy and it was very big there in their summer programs my daughter uh was there in the summers and those in in that period as well so it was it was really 
Yeah, go ahead. It was it, it was it was it was really it was really a fresh territory for people like yourself to 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 get a chance to not just see your typical you know you know Jewish suburban kid. I mean, you got to see. There was, there was nothing like it. I, I cannot. I, I wish that I could give this opportunity to do things like this to my own children. I, I don't know what it would be like. You know, when the Soviet Union collapsed, and it was utter chaos. And the opening there was incredible. When I say chaos, it was like, it was, again, I really haven't been there in 25 years, um, but it was lawless, complete, like, uh, you know, close to um, like a sense of anarchy. The Soviet Union collapsed and the government hadn't really taken full form with a lot of, you know, institutions. You, you know, just, it was bribery everywhere you went. That was the way of life. Um, and there were hundreds of thousands of Jews who were thirsty to know something about their, their past. They were excited to learn about it from Americans because there was a lot of cachet with Americans coming to the former Soviet Union. And it was, it was just really exciting. I mean, and I can't, I cannot overstate just how little people there knew. I mean, one of the great you but know, but, but as you say, they weren't just um, you know they weren't just disconnected from ignorance. They actually were they 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 were frustrated by their ignorance. And meeting people like yourself and other young people, uh, you say that they 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 had a thirst for 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 knowing about things that they didn't know about. There's one thing that we owe a great debt of gratitude to um, Soviet leadership for. And that is including in the passports of all Soviet citizens, their ethnicity. <laughs> if you were Jewish, it said in your, it said in your passport, Ivray. Yeah. If you were Ukrainian, it said Ukrainian. If you were Russian, it said Russian. But if you were Jewish, whatever republic you lived in, it said Ivray. This was a tremendous like benefit that they never could have realized. What we did was, yep. People who were discriminated against who knew they were Jewish, but didn't really understand anything about the Judaism. I mean, when I say didn't understand anything about the Judaism, I mean, it was totally illegal to learn unless you were one of these Muhadim like Yosef Mendelevich. I mean, people, the average person, Jew on the street, the average Jew did not know anything. I mean, did not know anything at all about Judaism other than they were discriminated against. They couldn't get into the best colleges because they were Jewish. So once the Soviet Union collapsed, we would come in. And partner with the local Jewish community. Usually it was a Chabad guy or some other structure, small structure in Jewish community. Put an ad in the newspaper, say it's a bunch of American kids were coming to run a camp. If you're Jewish, show up to the Jewish community center. Um, kids were, well, and we would check passports. And basically, I mean, we, I mean, we weren't, we couldn't be 100% sure that everyone was Jewish. But if, the, I mean, this is what we had, we, a kid had to show up with their mother. If the kid's mother's passport said Ivray on it, then the kid was in the camp. Um, it was really interesting, by the way. You know, we were in the Ukraine. There, there was a um, you know, you know, in 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 the south, in the south of Ukraine, in Kherson. Um, I spent a lot of time there. In Kherson, I still remember uh, being very. You know, I, I learned. You know, I read Russian. I learned how to check passports. I remember seeing one of the ethnicities. Somebody showed up. There was a. There was a, a term there that I had not been familiar with, and I paid more attention to someone. I said, "What? What? This? You know, I, I, was, I knew how to read it if it said, you know, Ukrainian, Russian, Ivray." There was a new term I hadn't stopped, seen before, a karite. <laughs> I mean, there, there are a couple. Yeah, yeah. A, a charism, 
was a recognized ethnicity in the former Soviet Union, which is really uh, interesting. Sure, sure. Definitely it was the uh, hotbed. What were some I, of the cities, John, that, that you were in? You I, went to Harrison, I, what else? Here's, here's, here, here's my, in my uh, you know, tra- travels through the former Soviet Union, which were really wonderful. I spent the most of my time in Ukraine. Cities I went to in Ukraine, I spent some time. I mean, you'd, you'd fly into Kiev and then take a train south to Kherson. Um, I spent a lot of time on the so on the Soviet rails. Um, spent you know spent a lot of time in Kherson. Um, I, did, I, did, I was there for two or three summers. I was there for a circus one year. It's winter. I spent some time in Kharkov. It was Kharkov, not Kharkiv. Kharkiv yeah. is what it became called when, when Ukraine kind of like you know asserted its nationalism there. It was Kharkov and it was part of the Soviet Union. So it's time in Kharkov. That's when the OU had its uh, center. Um, in Kharkov for a time. Um, I spent some time in Minsk and actually we had a camp in Rodin, actually in the hub and we you know spent time in the in, a, in, in the town of Rodin itself. I spent some time up in the Baltic Republic. So I was in the Tallinn, Estonia for a bit. Uh, you know, traveling through, I went to Moscow as well, but didn't really run any camps there. One of the most interesting places I went to for Pesach one year, we ran a program in Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan. You know, in the mountainous, you know, region there, not that far from uh, the Chinese border. It was like a, I don't remember, I think it was something like a five, six hour flight east from Moscow. And you brought kids there or there was actually a Jewish community there? there? So there in Bishkek, there is a Jewish community there. In Kyrgyzstan, there is there is a there is a, a long time Spartac community there. It's kind of, it's not that far from Afghanistan. You know, it's that, it's in the, that kind of, uh, you know, Spartac community. We did not work with the Sephardic community. They had their own sort of support there. We worked with the Ashkenaz community, which was mostly Jews who had been exiled there by Stalin to save themselves. They, they, they were saved from Hitler by moving to, you know, Kyrgyzstan during World War II. Wow. So it, it, what's really fascinating, John, is because, you know, I, we know each other a long time. And... Um, you know, and I, and I know you as a mechanic and as a student. It's interesting that, you know, you, you feel you were sort of on the precipice and this really cemented what you felt your identity was going to be like. Um, what was it? Was it the sincerity? Was it the, was it the pure quality of the teaching? Was it, I, I, have, a, I have a feeling that maybe it was sort of the excitement that you could make some of this stuff up. In other words, I, I, it's almost like, look, go out there, we need young people. We need energy. Maybe it it's was, because maybe it because you were maybe because you were able like to to sort of like you know spin it out of cloth yourself. You could you you, you could create the situation there and with, without necessarily having to fit into a certain box. Was that yes, it? Yes, I think I think you're totally right. It felt like you could change the world, and it felt like you were changing the world. You know that's what because you're it was not the kind of thing which was a, a structure set up for you and you go in and you make an incremental difference. Here you are, nobody knew anything. You go and show up, you know, show up to, I still remember this great story, show up in the Crimea. There was a ca- camp we wanted to rent in Foros. Foros, if you may recall, is where Gorbachev had his dacha, where he was, <laughs> where he, where he uh, hit out at one point. You know, so Gorbachev's dacha. We had is a beautiful area on the Black Sea. We wanted to rent a campsite there. We had to meet with the, uh, if I recall correctly, and this is close to thirty years ago, twenty-five years ago, it was the, um, you had to meet with the Minister of Education in the Crimea to, um, kind of rent the campsite. And he said the campsite's not available. 
this is like so wild was it? I had learned how to, you know, you had to bribe people to make things work. Campsite's not available. We're in a meeting. It's myself, one of my friends, and the minister of education and two of his assistants. So I learned how to do this well enough. I said, oh, it's very interesting. It's not available. Okay, very good. Um, well, you know, I want to know if we can speak privately. He said, okay, absolutely. He asked his assistants to leave. And I told him about how impressed we get. This is like, this is like the fun part of being a 23 year old doing it. It's like, we were very impressed with the level of education here in the Ukraine. Um, very impressed with what you've done. Here's $200. We'd like you to do with it. What you think <laughs> be helpful for the Ukrainian educational system. Thank you very much for your contribution. At which point he then looks at, looks at his calendar. Oh, oh I, I made a mistake. There's a, <laughs> It's actually free during the time that you said you want to go. Okay, wonderful, terrific, and that's how you. I mean, again, that's just how everything worked there. And then you run a camp, and you have kids who really were so wide-eyed, and so you felt like you were making such a radical difference in their lives. Teach going from knowing not know not ever having heard of Moshe Rabbeinu before, never heard the name Moses, never heard of it before. And you're taking people and they wanted to know. They wanted to know why we, they were discriminated against because of this Ivray. They knew there was something negative. And all of a sudden you have these American kids coming there who are cool, telling them what it means to be Jewish and how excited they should be to be Jewish. And they learn about stories and learn how to dub and they learn Hebrew. It was just, it was really just, uh, you know, uh, an experience I, that I think I've ever had. You know, it, it sounds like, you know, the, obviously. We, we had, we work with translators, believe it or not. I mean, I. The first two, three times I went there, I spoke no Russian at all. Um, I took it upon myself to try to learn a rudimentary Russian so I could speak. I could like converse and like, you know, kind of make my way around the country without like, you know, if somebody knew I was not a native Russian speaker, I could figure out how to manage myself Mm -hmm. in Russian. But in terms of and I could maybe. At some point when I was a little bit less rusty than I am now, I could give a basic kind of talk or something like that. Wow. But, but I, as, but, but essentially we used translators um, and the translators were, um, you know, they, they were great. We'd have like each you know, you know, team of translators who worked in the camp. So every time anybody's giving a class, you're working with a translator. Um, and so that was a barrier, um, certainly. But it was a necessary thing to do because, you know, people, they did not speak. The very few people spoke, spoke a decent English. Very few. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so that's even, even more impressive. But again, when there's, and the translators, what it the, was? Tra- the, trans- the translators were, were Jewish or the translators were? Mostly Jewish. Yeah, mostly Jewish. It was Jewish kids or the young adults who went to school to learn English. And so we hired them to be translators. You know, what was most meaningful though in addition to teaching and like you know translating things to russian would be learning the sitter it would be learning songs it would be singing it would be benching those things you didn't translate i mean you had we had sidurim with russian translation benchers russian translation but i you know the singing the benching out loud in hebrew teaching that to kids it was like life changing you know it was really just a you, you felt great about yourself. The kids loved it. They were just excited to explore their 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 their, their identity, and and uh, and of course uh, introducing them to Shabbos, the concept of 
uh, a time when they we couldn't use you know uh, electric devices or were or explaining this this principle yeah. which was probably quite foreign to them i mean it's one thing right there's one thing yeah, you're going totally. to school uh but to actually give them a sense of shabbos and yeah. and and their parents i i know you start with the kids but i i got the impression by from some of these programs that the parents were sometimes schlepped into it too or is that sometimes wrong that? generally okay i think our assumption was for many of these kids this was in the early days many of these kids were preparing to go to israel they were preparing to make aliyah um we did not assume that there was going to again. If you had asked me twenty, you know, twenty nine years ago when I was first in Chersom, would there be, would the would I be friends with? The, would I know the Chabad rabbi there? Um, I would assume there's there would not be a community there much longer. There, everyone was going to be making aliyah. I didn't think it was going to be a, a long future. I was wrong. Uh, the Chabad, God bless these guys. These these shluchim are incredible incredible human beings who you know they would you know go there and this is this is before the days of zoom schools where their children can now you have a chabad shliach in the middle of nowhere you can learn online and be in with a whole community of chabad kids were learning these were situations where these guys would bring in their families in the simferopol crimea you know yeah that's where my mother's from really your mother's from Simferopol? Sure is. My mother, oh my, my grandmother. Gosh. I am. Yo Haroshe Chalavik. Wow. Wow, that's pretty incredible. So I, I tell you. The... Yes, my mother is from Simferopol. She actually uh, went to medical school in, in Moscow. Simferopol actually has a very big medical school. I don't know why she went to Moscow to become a doctor, but yeah, huh. my mother and grandmother, my grandmother had, my grandmother uh, ran the minion, Yom Naroyim, in Simferopol. We're talking about, we're talking about 1920 something, right? We're talking the about. Chances are the shul that I got that in Simferopol could likely have been a shul that your, your mom had been in. It's your am Sure, and my uh, grandfather, my grandfather, that was the shul that my grandfather, who was, went, came back from Russia, went back. So I know a lot about Simferopol. I, 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 I actually would love to go visit there because. Uh, uh, well, you know, well, right uh, now, well, well, when I when I was in Simferopol, Simferopol was in the Ukraine. Now it's yeah, Simferopol. Right now it's Crimea. Now it's Crimea. It's always it was going back and forth all the time. It's a beautiful little town. It's not. It's very close yep. to the Black Sea. It's not on the Black Sea, very but it's close, close to the Black Sea. Very it's close. close. Very. It's a pretty. It's a. It's a pretty town. It's, pr- it's a prettier. Uh, Sevastopol is right on on the Black Sea, yeah. but Sevastopol is more like a sailor town. Sevastopol, yeah, Sevastopol, is, Sevastopol was, is more like a little bit of a surliness, right? Yeah. And Simferopol Sevastopol is, also. When I was there, yeah. I went to Sevastopol. I think once, but it was generally a closed military city. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot. Of, you know, a lot of. Uh, Ukrainian and Soviet fleet of the Black Sea was based in Sevastopol, and it was not friendly to civilians, if I recall correctly. Like it was like there was nothing to do there because you had to be in the military to really mm-hmm. walk around Sevastopol when I was there. Yeah, right. The the, the climate Simferopol has a very nice climate. It's a very beautiful, very temp, yeah. wonderful there. Nice climate. It's uh, well the, the the region is well known for the sweetest watermelon in the entire Soviet Union. So Arbus is pretty good too over there. The Kukarus. Kukarus, Kukarus. Kukarus is the corn. Yes. Yes. Very <laughs> best. 
Yes, yes. You see, I'm surprised. I'm, you surprise me. I have, to, I have to surprise you. So, John, so I guess this is really obviously emotional time for you, hearing about um, you know, cities that you were in, uh, hearing about them. And, and I'm sure that you're using your history and your connection Listen, I, to I, it I, to, to make a point to, your, to the students in SAR. I reached out to a friend of mine who, you know, 29 years ago, when I was in Kherson, there was a young Chabad Shliach, a single guy from Israel, who was there, like, you know, trying to do what we were doing. And we, you know, Chabad Shlichim and the YU guys were all working together and helping each other out because there's like, you know, just sure. there's no, we're the only Shomri Mitzvahs in the whole, you know, but, and it was great t- teamwork. And then I kept up a little bit with, the guy, you know, this single guy, we're, we're both there as like, you know, 21 year olds. Um, and then I've been, he remained as the Shliach. He's now the chief rabbi of Kherson and he is like, you know, the Chabad guy running the show there. So I, I, it's, and this is also the beauty of Facebook. I'm not such a Facebook user, but I went on to Facebook the other day, checked out the Chabad of Kherson. I message the guy, thinking he'll respond. He's responding back to me from the basement of his shul, um, telling me that they're trying to help all of the Jews in Kherson who are, you know, locked up in their homes and they need food, humanitarian aid. And, you know, he said, I, I said, what can I do? He said, if you could spread the name, spread spread this link where people can donate money so that I can buy food to give wow. to um, people in our community. That'd be great. So I was like, I'd be and happy ho- to do that. And hopefully, you know, again, you know, Putin holds so many of the cards here. You know, it's, it's possible even those links could be shut down. And, you know, it's possible, you know, because we're talking about wire transfers, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about monies that can be deposited here that can become wire transfers that can allow funds to be available uh, for them to have something. But if Putin, you know, really, you know, closes his grip totally, you know, it, it's really, you know, bad news. Again, I, 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 my, my impression is, speaking with people, that it's not that if Putin comes in, He's going to somehow, you know, you know, incarcerate Jews or go on pogroms on Jews. The problem is they are civilians. And since they're civilians and Putin is now attacking civilians, Jews are, I think, in the same sort of danger as everybody is. Yes. So it really, you know, it, it's, 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 it's and I think that's also important, I think, to give over to the kids that unlike, you know, 100 years ago. Um, you know, when we talk about pogroms and look, the Ukrainians, you know, they the, the Ukrainians have a, a long scroll of blood history in terms of leading pogroms and hatred of Jews. But over here, the really the issue is, is, is really tied. It isn't so much a Jewish issue, which really tied to the attack on the Ukrainian people that the Jews are part of. And therefore, you know, we have to we worry about a Chenu Beis Yisrael. Um, yeah. And, and and again, I just hope that this aid, you know, again, uh, that this aid is going to get is going to get through because, uh, yeah. you know, and I think that's part of it. Uh, are you guys look even where I came from, from the Deershu um, Seum, we had special, as I said, we had special tefillahs and special, uh, you know, tefillahs for 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 the for Achenu Beis Yisrael. Um, is, are, did you ramp yeah, doing, are you ramping up the tefillah? Yeah, doing tefillah, doing tefillah, you know, it's. Uh, it's interesting, you know, there is a, I think you find, I'm finding, you know, this, obviously there's an extreme sort of understanding of like the the absurdity and the horror of Putin and his thugs. Uh, 
who are, you know, kind of wreaking havoc in Ukraine. But I think there's also a, you know, as you sort of mentioned, a, a country that valorizes Chmelnitsky. And there, right. there's definitely a, uh, you know, I think among some of the older folks who um, have, you know, who the, for whom, like, you know, the, the Holocaust still is a little fresher in, in minds, I think they're, they're def- I definitely like hear people talk about like, you know, wow, let, let, let the Russians, and the Ukrainians kill each other. Um, and there's a lot of like, you know, certainly a lot of antipathy towards Ukrainians for the, what they did to Jews in the past. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I don't know, these people here now are not doing that and they're <laughs> being slaughtered by Putin. And there's Putin's also not discriminating between That's Jews right. and, and Ukrainians. Um, right. So you know, I, although I understand the that sort of instinct, there, uh, you know, sort of like what do the Ukrainians do for the Jews? At the end of the day, you know, these guys who are there right now are not those Jews, not the Ukrainians who ran them. Yeah, and, 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 right, right. And look, even even if there is, you know, a cold hatred between them, the Jews are living there and they are subject to the same fate yeah. as their Christian, whether they, whether they're liked or not. You know, you know, if if you listen to our Rizka episode, uh, we had a Russian professor on, uh, a a professor at Turo who was raised in in the Soviet Union and, and took visits to the Ukraine, and he mentioned, which is interesting, you know, it dovetails with what you're saying. They all knew they were Jewish, and they were, um, they were, uh, you know, prejudiced. There was a lot of prejudice against them. They were discriminated. And, and and what Dr. Kogan, our, our our guest, said is because of the stark difference in features between the Jewish look and the average Ukrainian. And I think I think you can probably second that as well. That you could tell the people you said you had to check their passports, but in many ways there was a distinct look to the Jewish kids, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I, yeah, absolutely. The Jews, as, 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 as I said, darker complexion. It was not, it was not, again, it wasn't, uh, uh, this wasn't the rule you could base everything on because there's definitely was a lot of intermarriage and, you know, who knows, but there was uh, certainly, you know, if you were, if you had brown eyes and dark hair, uh, you were, you know, more, you were seen as being more likely Jewish than somebody right. and, who is. And, and, and you were an, an open to the type of anti-Semitic slurs that yeah. are, were common there. And yeah. uh, which, again, you know, this is, gets into many things that Chazal tell us, and the, especially the, you know, the the great Rosh Hashivas and Rabbanim of the 19th century, that, you know, all this anti-Semitism that, that's that's rising and all this uh, Jew baiting, you know, in, in a way is a message. And and, and it seems to like it, it bore fruit a little bit uh, in your experiences, where because, as you say, because of the way they were targeted, they recognized they were different and that almost stopped the assimilation from absorbing them totally and completely, which allowed that type of flowering of of, of Jewish culture, um, really to a, you know Chabad and others into an incredible, incredible yeah. amount. Well, yeah. look, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, you know, there's nothing there's there's nothing like a teacher who can knowledge, as you say, from a political standpoint, plus from a Jewish standpoint. Nobody's going to argue that that's that that's the right way to go. But you know, I, I think that what happens sometimes and this is really pushback is that when you do have a long protracted situation like it looks like this is going to be people um, get bored that's right and you have to know how to wean this off i mean yes you know, uh, you know it, 100%. And, i always feel like you know i was i was oh i was you know those shuls that got into the habit of saying to hillam at the end of davening for the matzah in Eretz Yisrael, like, right. okay, what's the end game <laughs> 
it, yeah. when are you going to stop saying to him for the matzav? Mm. Um, there's you know you don't usually think about what that end game is if you got to be careful about how you do it. I agree. Like at some point you're just going to get bored of the situation in Ukraine, you're going to stop saying to Hillen. I know, I, I understand that as a concern. Yeah, right. And especially, especially with, with, with kids, but I think the, um, you know, in a way, as terrible as it is, I think it's sort of, again, maybe I'm, uh, you know, <clears throat> this, this might be a little bit stepping out, but, uh, but I think in a way it sort of like brings to light um, as scared as we were of COVID and um, as difficult as COVID is, this is this is really a little bit of a whole different game. This is life and death for people. This is really your you know your building is about to be destroyed. You know it, yeah. it, it isn't so much okay you're going to spread a disease which could possibly get somebody sick. You know you're really talking about things in in a different way. So I, you know as far as crises goes, I think it um, you know it, it, it touches a different button than than COVID does. And I think that uh, look what 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 is it. You know, the, uh, what is it that's happening? Do you, you are, you're not getting those type of questions like, hey, uh, like our kids coming and saying like, what's going to with COVID? We were all having astrological questions about people saying, oh, I got I got I got a bunch of that in the beginning of the days. Go Gumago. Yeah, kids are wondering what is Go Gumago. Uh, well, and it, it definitely is an interesting, you know, about face a return to a different sort of mindset. I just I'll leave you with this and and you know I I feel that um, um, John thanks a lot and we should, right. we'll be Paul, of course for for Achena Beis Yisrael and we'll catch you again hopefully on another uh, rollicking edition of On Principle. Take care, care everybody. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 